Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome, Faith. So good to have you guys here today. Take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Great to see everyone. If you're a guest with us today, we especially are so glad to have you with us. I'd love to meet you after the service for a few moments. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those were the dreams our forefathers had for America. But I would tell you, we have gotten a long way from that today in our land. We are losing our freedoms one by one. Our religious freedoms are leaving. We have kicked God out of our country officially in the uh, 60s and 70s with some Supreme Court rulings, and uh, we have a mess on our hands, and it's time for the church to rise up, and our theme verse for this whole uh, series is, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, and so we are talking about lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ in America again, and how we do that as a church, and how we look, and how we live out our lives. And uh, today we're going to talk about radical righteousness. The whole sexuality in America is crazy. It is, it is upside down value system. And so we're going to look at what God's word says and study that together. Let me just say this: when well, we're going to stand in a minute and read the word, when we do, if you have uh, children in here, school age children, you may want to try out children's church today. Because I'm going to get very blunt and very direct today, and you may not want to answer a lot of questions. Mommy and Daddy, what does that mean? So uh, you may want to take them to Children's Church this morning. Let us stand together for the reading of God's Word today. While you're standing, let me just remind you about the services this week. You saw the announcement there. There was one change on the schedule you guys have received the last couple of weeks so we have, uh, it's on Tuesday night, that's a different church it's going to be at, but we have the updated schedules in the foyer, and if you want to pick that up, it'll be at a different church each night, and we'll celebrate together, pray together, the speaker will be uh, fantastic, and then I want everybody to come here on Wednesday night. We're the host, and our praise band will be leading the praise and worship, and then uh, Brother Laban will be bringing the word of God, there'll be some fellowship afterwards in Building 6, and so come join us uh, as we pray together for our city and, and for this nation in which we live. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 18. Also, one more quick thing. Dave is here this morning. If you're interested in our school, he'll be outside at the foyer with some brochures to give you and stop by on your way out and you can find out more about that. Okay, enough announcements. Let's get to it. 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually against his own, uh, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own; you are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. You are so good. We thank you for your sweet presence here today. I pray, God, you'll open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. We need you today. Help me, Lord Jesus. Can't do a thing without you. Have your will and way in this service, we pray. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great, and then you may be seated. The Christian life is the most exciting life you can ever know. In, 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 how many, how many born-again believers right in here? Raise your hand. Isn't it exciting to know the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him and serve him and know him? The Christian life is all about forgiveness. It is all about the abundant life. It is all about loving God and loving others. And it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful journey that we're called to when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some who think they could have an exciting life if we just cut out all the passages in scripture that had to do with the morality part the sexual part it's like get rid of that part and then i'm fine with christianity it sounds great if you could just cut those places out of the bible and what they have is they have this picture of god in heaven looking down wanting to cut out all of our fun and if we follow jesus i got to give up all these things and life's going to be dull and boring and all my fun is going to be gone forever 
In fact, the opposite is true. God makes these rules because he loves us. Every rule in the word of God is placed there because God loves you so very, very much. He wants you to have the most absolute, exciting life possible. And that exciting life comes out of obedience to the word of God. You see, animals are directed by their instincts. Animals just do what they do at certain times of the year, certain times of the month. They act like animals. And they follow their basic instincts. But when God created man and woman, he made them free moral agents. He gave us a choice. We can choose, and and it's that choice that he gave man that makes man so special. That's why we are the crown of all of God's creation, man and woman, male and female created to them. But when he made you, he gave you a choice that you can make with your lives. And we can use God gifts or we can misuse them. And if we misuse God gifts, we can then bring our own destruction. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. Aren't you glad you have electricity and air conditioning right now? Pretty hot outside. We, we, we've all grown up with air conditioning. We've all grown up with electricity. And we know that is a wonderful gift that we have in our homes today by virtue of the fact we live in America. But how many know if you stick your finger in the socket, you're going to fry yourself? That gift of electricity can be a very, very valuable thing when it's channeled in the right direction, but it's when it's misused or you push the limits and stick your finger in there, you will kill yourself eventually. Sex is the very same way. We live in a generation that's trying to cast all moral and and sexual restraints totally off. And the result is people's lives are being destroyed and families are being destroyed because they're not following God's way and God's will. So it's leading to our destruction. America has been driving down that road of sexual freedom for the last 50 plus years. And and while they're driving down their road, they're, they're gazing at the scenery on either side of sexual freedom. But what they don't realize is while they're looking at the road on either side in the beautiful scenery, they're heading headlong off the cliff down to the bottom and ultimately will be destroyed. The moral fabric of our culture is being ripped apart. Now the good news today is there's hope. There's hope for anyone who wants to break free from sexual compromise. There's hope for you to have a healthy marriage. There's hope for you to have a joyful family. There is hope for you to have meaningful friendships. There is hope for you to leave a significant legacy to the next generation. And there's hope for you to have an authentic relationship with God. But we've got to follow God's way. This morning I want to move from the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, collecting the bodies and the wreckage as they go headlong over that precipice. And I want to build a fence on top of the mountain. And I want to give you some very practical things this morning that will keep you from running headlong off the cliff. And I want to move beyond sin management to a character change. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't just manage sin. Your character has to be changed completely and radically. So let's take a look at this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is going to be the basis of our study this morning. He says in verses 19 and 20, you're not your own. You are bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. The first thing you've got to understand as a child of God is you no longer own the rights to your body. It's not your own body to do with what you want to and how you please. It's not your body anymore. You're a child of God, so you belong to God, so your body belongs to him. Therefore, he has the exclusive rights to how and when and why and where I use my body. He owns it. God owns our bodies if we were his property, but exalts us as if we were kings. Isn't that incredible? He owns us as if we were his property, but he exalts us as if we are kings, as we are kings and priests in the family of God. And so we need to take care of that property that God has entrusted us with And so the question for us today is, how will we manage God's property? 
how will we take care of God's property? It's not our own. We're bought with a price. Secular culture says, I own my own body. I can do with what I want to do with my body. I can abort a baby inside of my body if I want to. I can enter into all kinds of sexuality if I want to. It's my body. I'll do what I please with my body. The believer says, my body has a redemptive purpose. Because that redemptive purpose is to glorify God. He says, since God owns your body, therefore glorify God in your body. And so in everything I do, my body is meant to bring glory unto the Lord. And so this is this whole argument against the Corinthians, who were a very, uh, Corinth was a very wicked city, a very promiscuous city, uh, 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 filled with all kinds of uh, licentiousness, lust, sexual immorality, pagan worship, idol worship. It was all a part of what they were doing. And they thought, you know what? I can give my life to God, and I'll worship God with my spirit, but I'll do what I want to with my body. And God, and God says, God forbid, flee fornication. Don't you know your body houses the spirit of God? Therefore, God owns your body. Therefore, you're responsible for how you use your body to bring glory to God. And that's the whole basis of his argument against sexual immorality. Paul says in this passage this, he says in sexual immorality, what you are actually doing is you are taking the Lord's body, which is yours, now he owns, he has rights to your body, but you're taking that and joining that to a prostitute. And he says what happens is you are bringing God into every sexual activity you engage in because now your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't sin sexually in isolation. The Lord is with you every moment, every step of the way as a child of God. Fornication, or that's another word for sexual immorality, violates God's right to my body. I simply kick God out and say, God, you're not here. I'm going to do what I want to with my body. In that moment of choice, you can choose to honor the Lord with your body, or you can offend him by abusing God's great gift within you. Dr. Robert Trania said this, you can choose to jump off the cliff, but you cannot choose the consequences that await you at the bottom. Run that by you again, great statement. You can choose to jump off a cliff, that's your choice, but you can't choose the consequences that await you at the bottom. Once you jump off, the consequences of gravity and the rocks below will take its toll. And so it is with sexual immorality. You can jump off the precipice of sexual sin, but there are consequences that are built into your choices. And so every time you engage in sexual immorality, there are certain consequences you can expect to reap. Now I'm going to give you three of those this morning. You may want to jot those down. If you have your bulletins, they're on the back, and you can follow along with me today. Number one, he says in Corinthians, he says, every man that sins sins against God. But he says in the same text, when you sin sexually, when you sin in sexual immorality, he says you are sinning against your own body. So it has deeper ramifications, deeper effects, deeper consequences. That's what the Word of God says. When you sin in sexual immorality, you're sinning against your own body. Now I want to propose something to you this morning, it's simply this. Your body is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Everybody say that with me. Body, soul, and spirit. You are a tripart being, just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Trinity, three in one. So is the man, so is the female. We are body, soul, and spirit. So when the Bible says you sin against your own body, I believe you really violate all three of those components to your makeup. First of all, I think we know very well what it means physically to sin against your body. We have rampant sexual diseases all across America today. Why does it happen? Because man jumps from woman to woman to woman, or a lady jumps from man to man to man, and what happens is every one of those sexually transmitted diseases passed on. The AIDS epidemic, AIDS will still kill you. Not only that, but the uh, unwanted pregnancies that come as a consequence of uh, sexual immorality. And so all that happens, 1.1 teenagers get pregnant every 
single year, 1.1 million teens a year. So that's the obvious. That's kind of the no-brainer effect. But I want to talk about your soul. You sin against your soul. Your soul is literally the seat of your emotions and your will. It's your, it's your intellect, mind, emotions, will, all the inside of man. And what happens is when someone is involved in sexual immorality, they become an emotional train wreck. There are deep scars that develop over time. There are a lot of things in life you can do over. In other words, when, I, when I, we talked about a mulligan and a do-over and a second chance, and not, that's all great and that's all good and that's all awesome, but you can never do something again for the very first time. You can only do something once for the first time, right? You understand where I'm going with this? God's plan is to save your first time for sex with a person, a covenant partner, you're going to spend the rest of your life with. First time. Each time a person engages in premarital sex, it eats into their ability to be bonded together with a lifetime partner. So his argument in Corinthians is simply this. Don't you know that when you join yourself in sexual relations with somebody else, you are bonded to them, you are glued to them, you become, the Bible says, one with that person. Every time you leave that person and jump to somebody else, you are ripping that bond that God intended you to enjoy one person for the rest of your life. You are ripping that apart and going to someone else and someone else and someone else, and pretty soon you become very emotionally fragmented because you have given yourself away to everybody else on the block. The emotional bondage. Promiscuity prepares you for divorce. This is is a statistic that was done by the University of Maryland. You are 60% more likely to have a divorce if you have been promiscuous before you were married. 60% more likely. The emotional bond established in sexual intercourse. There's an emotional bond that's established in sexual intercourse. Having sex with multiple partners weakens the bond that God designed for you to have in marriage. If you want maximum sexual fulfillment, bond with one person for the rest of your life sexually, it's the best sex you can ever have. Ladies, don't buy the lie that sex will be the tool that will keep your man. Sex outside of marriage is one of hurt, shame, and feelings of being used. The problem is if he will hang around for the sex Whatever relationship you have will deteriorate eventually and it will break apart. There's a story in the Old Testament about David's son, Amnon. The Bible says Amnon lusted after his half-sister. And he acts like he's sick. And so he says, bring Tamar to me, bring her into me, let her make some bread in front of me. And so she's making bread in front of him, and and Amnon in his mind is going off. The Bible says he grabs her and he rapes her. But it says something very interesting. After he raped her, he said he hated her more than he first lusted after her or Loved her initially. It's the Bible uses the word love. There's not a lot of difference between uh, in the Old Testament between the word love and lust. And so he, he lusted after her, but the Bible says he hated her more than he loved her at the beginning or desired her or wanted her. Because now she's all used up. And now there's nothing holding him there. And now he's going to move on and cast her out. Sex is glue in a marriage. But premarital sex undermines the trust that requires the relationship to stick. So the glue loses its stickiness. And every time you go from one person to another, that glue is ripped again and again and again. And pretty soon when you find that magic person, the stick's not there. Even if wedding plans are on the horizon... The man who reasons to himself, I can't help myself, I want to have my sex now, why wait till we're married, we're going to get married in three months anyway, or five months anyway, why not go ahead and have sex now? You are demonstrating to your wife, you can't help yourself with someone you love 
but you're violating her before you're married, what's to say you can restrain yourself after you're married if you couldn't restrain yourself before you were married? And so the trust breaks down. Premarital sex destroys the foundation of trust that is needed to make a marriage work. And so going back to the word of God, when God says no, when God says flee fornication, when God says don't involve in sexual activity until after you're married, he's doing that for our own good. Not to be mean, it's not to take away all your fun, excitement, enthusiasm. He has your own interest at heart. It is for what is very best for you. The word fornication, used in the King James Version, the New International Version, translates it sexual immorality, which covers adultery, homosexuality, uh, sex before marriage. All that would be kind of included in the umbrella of that word. But the word fornication is from the Greek word pornea. We get our word pornography from that word, pornea, pornography. And so that's where we get that word from. The reason pornography becomes so addictive and destructive is you bond with that image. So when you are viewing that on the internet, when you're viewing that on television, when you're watching those sexual acts taking place, wherever you're accessing that, whenever you're seeing that happen, your brain is a computer. It doesn't know you weren't personally engaged in activity. Your brain locks that in like a recorder, and it's recording that event just as if it was you. Because all the same excitement is there, all the same feelings are there, and so your brain doesn't distinguish, it doesn't know the difference. That's why the Word of God says in Matthew, don't you know that if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart? That's why he says, I tell you, don't even lust. Don't go there. Don't go to that fantasy kind of life and mentality and lifestyle because it be, then it be releases all those chemicals in your brain and it becomes very, very addictive. Our brains have a built-in reward mechanism that bind, bound, binds the memory of the pleasurable experience with the source of that pleasure. So your mind is locking in with the source of that pleasure. It's no wonder the Holy Spirit, Paul through the anointing of the Holy Spirit says, flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Don't see how close you can get. Don't see how far you can push the envelope. Don't see how much you can watch and get away with it. Don't see how you can cover it all up. He says simply flee from it and run from it. In fact, scientists have done studies The chemicals released in the brain in pornography are every bit as powerful as the chemicals that are released in a heroin addiction. That's why it is a growing epidemic in America today, and that's why so many men and women are addicted to pornography. There was a Stanford University psychologist. His name was Philip Zimbardo. He did an experiment. And you're going to find this fascinating. He took two cars, and uh, he set one car in a very affluent neighborhood in Palo Alto, California. It was in one of the, one of the uh, nicest neighborhoods there was. He took another car and put it in the seediest neighborhood in Bronx, New York City. The very worst, high crime rate, very rough neighborhood in the Bronx. On both cars, identical cars, he took the license plate off, he raised the hood of the car and then abandoned the car and just left it there and they watched from a distance and recorded all their studies. Within 10 minutes, the people in the Bronx began helping themselves. In 24 hours, everything of value had been stripped off those cars. Gone. 24 hours. In Palo Alto, the car sat unmolested for a week. Hood lifted up, no license plate, No one touched it for a week. Zimbardo did something, though. After it sat there for a week in Palo Alto, California, an affluent neighborhood, he went along and he smashed one of the windows out of that car. Within a few hours, that same car was totally demolished and stripped down. Malcolm Gladwell, the New Yorker, uh, who writes for the New Yorker, said, Disorder invites even more disorder. 
A small deviation from the norm can set into motion a cascade of vandalism and criminality. The broken window was the tipping point. The broken window was the tipping point. So they came up with a theory called the broken window theory. And the broken window theory says that you can reduce crime in an area uh, and maintain social order if small problems are fixed immediately. But small problems left unfixed invites more vandalism. Rudy Giuliani did that in the early 90s in New York City. He cleaned up all the graffiti. He fixed all the windows. He stopped all the jaywalking. He uh, cleaned up the subways. And what they, when they did all that, they realized violent crime began to drop. Murders, rape, and robbery dropped exponentially because they took care of the small things in New York City. And that's probably what Rudy Giuliani is, is known most for. Why is it when one, does, one window's broken, they want to go along and smash all the windows out of the same house? Damaged ignored sends a signal that no one cares and no one is in charge here. You got it? One window's broken, left broken, sends a signal, no one's home and no one cares. Now that's what pornography does. It's the broken window to the soul. And it tells the enemy no one's home and no one cares and no one's watching the house. No one's watching the building. So let me ask you a question. What broken windows have you left unrepaired in your life? Have you been guilty of allowing the litter of immorality, loose talk, and compromised values remain in your heart? Unattended. Have you sent a message to God's enemy that no one is in charge and no one cares? What are the broken windows in our hearts today, over our souls today? The third consequence is the spiritual impact. The spiritual impact shuts down our ability to communicate with God. This is what happens when you're involved in pornography or any other kind of sexual immorality. The bottom line is it... it, it breaks your communication with God the Father. So we have a Father who loves us, and we love him, and we're Christ followers, and we talk to him every day, but something happens, that unconfessed sin that remains in our heart, those dark places we cover over that no one else may know about or see, it's gonna stop the communication with God. How many have ever been on a cell phone, you're talking to somebody, and, uh, and you're just talking away, and you don't realize it, uh, finally, after three or four minutes, you wait for him to talk back, and there's nobody on the other end of the line. Their cell phone coverage just drops somewhere on the road. And you wonder, you say, I wonder how much he got of that conversation. And when you talk to him again and he calls you back, you start all over again on the same story all over again. What happens is any unconfessed sin in your heart and life is like that cell phone that drops. You may be talking, but no one's listening. Because there is unconfessed sin in your life you haven't dealt with. It breaks that communication cycle. The temptation is the voice inside of you says, go ahead, a little porn won't hurt. A little sex won't hurt. Just one little look won't hurt. But the real reality is after the action, there's that feeling of guilt. If you're a believer and you're a child of God, and you profess to know the Lord, and you profess to follow him, you can't handle the guilt that accompanies it. And and, and after the actions, the devil's not going to be there to comfort you. He's laughing because he's accomplishing what he set out to do. The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you're plagued by guilt, you're plagued by anxiety, you feel the alienation from God, the enemy's laughing. The Bible says King David was a man after God's own heart. And, uh, and yet we have that incident in the Old Testament where he first began with looking. And he looks and he sees Bathsheba and he sees her bathing next door on the rooftop. Now, and the king would only put his best friends that close to the palace, and so Uriah has a, a real close location to where David lived, close enough that he could look out and see Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop in the end of the day. And so he brings her to himself. You know the story. He commits adultery, and then to cover that adultery up, he commits murder. 
David thought he was powerful enough. I'm the king, I can do what I want to, or smart enough to get away with it. But how many know God's not fooled? And so we think we fool everybody else and no one sees what's going on, but God knows and God sees and he sends the prophet Nathan and Nathan confronts him. And finally, David confesses. Now I want you to turn back to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, this is an incredible psalm. I, just, I can't read it all today. Read it when you have more time. But it says in Psalm 51 and verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justify when you judge. Jump down to verse number nine. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. You see, that sin separated him from the presence of God, and he lost the joy of his salvation. He lost the joy of his fellowship with God. It was gone. And so now he's pleading, cast me not from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will turn back to you. The good news is the word of God says Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And even as we sit here today and some of you are falling under condemnation, here's the great news. Jesus died on the cross to take every sin away. His blood is strong enough He can cleanse the memories. He can renew the mind. He can bring you back into right relationship with God. Your fellowship can be restored with him all over again. No matter how hard in our own strength we try to erase the guilt and the condemnation and reprograms our mind, nothing can wipe it away but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can forgive, he can cleanse, and when he cleanses and forgives, it is complete. And he buries that sin in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be drenched up again as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my transgressions. And the good news is, you can experience that freedom and forgiveness this morning. Hallelujah. Sexual immorality. Now I want to get very, very plain with you today. That's the biblical basis and theology for it. Those are the consequences. But I want to talk now about the proverbial elephant in the room. The proverbial elephant in the room. It's that thing that is so obvious and so plain and so prevalent, but nobody wants to talk about it, and sometimes often in the church itself. Pornography is the herd of elephants that no longer can be ignored. Now listen to me. One half of the men in this room, the men in this room, have viewed pornography within the last week. One half, don't look around. Was it you? Was it you? You, you. Don't look around. Those are the national statistics of those who call themselves evangelical, born-again believers. One out of every two men watch pornography at least weekly. 80% of Christian men, when they are asked, what is your biggest struggle, what is your biggest challenge, it is dealing with pornography. 34% of women, this is Christian women, 34% of Christian women have already intentionally accessed pornography within the last month. One out of every three. With the advent of the computer, the infiltration of the mind now comes right in the office and the numbers of of work hours being stolen because people at work are accessing their computers and watching pornography is staggering. Uh, And so it has come right into the office, right into the workplace, and right into our houses. The window to the soul has been broken. 
I, want to, I, want to, I don't normally sell stuff out in the foyer. Don't like to sell a lot of stuff. But, but much of the source material that I've got for this message came from this book entitled Broken Windows of the Soul. And so I, I took a lot of the source material right out of here, a lot of the statistics you're hearing today and the facts, and, and the whole broken window illustration came right from this book with a lot more detail. I would encourage every man, woman on your way out to grab one of these books, $10. Or if, if you know of somebody who is struggling with this and want to get a copy for them and give that in that book, it's an easy read and very practical and right to the point. Now, what I want to do is give you four practical steps to guard the house and repair the windows. How, how do we combat this onslaught of pornography? How do we guard the house? How do we let people know that someone is home and there's not a window to my soul that is busted open? How do we go about repairing the windows? Number one, first of all, you need a brand new mind. You need a new mind. Turn to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans 12 and verse number 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, and we talked about this some last week, to offer your bodies, there he's talking about the bodies again, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. There should be a change takes place when you come to know the Lord. There should be a transformation. There should be this renewing of your mind. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is for you as good, pleasing, and perfect will. The mind must be renewed. Now, listen to me. Your will, though your will is very important to your protection and recovery, is not sufficient alone. You will never overcome this addiction in your own strength. You can't do it. It won't happen. And so what we have to do is have a total renewing of our mind, not just an attempt to manage our sin. You get what I'm saying? There's a difference. There's a new owner. There's a a new mindset. And so we renew our mind. You must realize your need for the power of eternal life that is within you that can only be found in Jesus Christ. In other words, when I come to know Christ, he dwells with me, and all the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is within me. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Paul says, I pray that I might know the power of his resurrection, that that power that raised Christ from the dead. And the only way I can really affect change is to know Jesus Christ, to have a new mind that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The goal of recovery is far more than sin management. God is interested in a complete renovation of your heart and your character. A total change from the inside out. It's got to begin with Jesus Christ. You need to replace the glass in the broken window instead of trying to put duct tape over all the cracks. Unless there is a deep change in your character, we will simply manage our sin problems and never be transformed into the kind of person Jesus wants you to be. There's a quote in this book, and let me read it to you. Wouldn't it be an amazing work of the Holy Spirit as well as a profound change in our character, to get to the point where we would, with a perfectly clear conscience, view as much porn as we want. Now before you walk out on me, before you say, what is the pastor saying now? Let me read it one more time, then I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from. Wouldn't it be an amazing work of the Holy Spirit, as well as a profound change in our character, to get to the point where we would with a perfectly clear conscience, view as much porn as we want. What am I saying? When Jesus is on the inside, he changes my want to. So ask yourself the question, how much porn would Jesus watch? Zero. So when I have Christ in me, how much porn do I want to watch? Zero. There's no desire. 
I'm full of the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ. I don't want my want-tos change. Not a matter of legalism. Not a matter of following this set of rules. In Christ Jesus, I can do everything I want to because my want-tos line up with the character of Christ. How did Jesus confront temptation? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He had so much of the word of God that when Satan came at him with temptation, he just came back with the word and said, it is written. So the question then becomes, who is the landlord of your body? Whose house is there? Who is living inside? Fall deeply in love with Jesus. Fill your mind with the love of Jesus. That's how our mind is renewed. I've got so much Jesus in me, I don't want the other junk in me. Flee temptation. Flee sexual immorality. He says that in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Turn, if you would, to Matthew 5. I want to give you something else here. This is, we're getting very, very practical. Matthew 5, verse 29 and 30. Let me start with verse 27. You may not have it all on the, on the screen, but let me just start with there. You've heard it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, he says the mind engages, your heart engages with what it sees visually. And it's, and it's powerful. There's powerful. And so long time ago, this is written and spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, this is very, very strong language, gouging out the eye. He is talking about the, the, the uh, seductivity and, the, and the, the powerfulness of pornography or, or looking after a woman lustfully in here. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So what am I saying? If, if these are challenges for you, what you need to do as a child of God, identify those trigger mechanisms that open the door of your mind to temptation and cut it out. What persons trigger that in your mind? What television triggers that? What internet sites trigger that in your brain? What videos trigger that in your mind. He says, cut it out, cut it off. Eliminate it, eliminate your access to it. Turn your attention, the Bible says, to that which is true and noble and just and pure and lovely and good and virtuous and praiseworthy. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Set your mind on those things, not on that garbage. Now in your bulletin, on the back, Every believer ought to have an internet filter on their, on, their, on their computers. If you're going to use a computer, have an internet filter there. I've listed about a half a dozen of them. Put a circle around it. If you haven't yet done that, just to keep you from this kind of temptation, put those blockers, put those filters. It will help. I know there are some ways around that, but you've got to work at it. So put those internet filters on there. And uh, don't have that access on your computer. Plus, your computers can fall in the hands of your children. And so there's a lot of websites right there for you to look at and think about. Number three, the third thing, accountability. Everybody say accountability. Turn to Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I want you to listen to me very carefully. The enemy builds strongholds in secrecy. And he enforces them by silence. The enemy builds strongholds in your life through secrecy. And he enforces them by silence. So if you want this cycle of pornographic addiction broken, break the silence, and you'll break the stronghold. 
Let's say it again. Break the silence and you'll break the stronghold. The enemy attacks us further than we intend to go, keeps us longer than we intended to stay, and the price is always greater than we ever intended to pay. Every born-again child of God needs an accountability partner. Men, you need a man. You need someone who will hold you accountable. Someone who will say, what have you been watching this week? Where have you been going? What have you been saying? What have you been doing? How's your life with God? How's your walk with God? How's your marriage going? Every lady needs another lady who will hold her accountable to the standards of the Word of God. Accountability partners. Now, let me tell you what we're going to be doing here at Faith to help you. I know that when I preach a message like this, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit comes and we are motivated to change. But what happens is if we don't give you handles and tools on how to change, you leave and you fall back into the same traps you've always fallen into. I don't think anybody enjoys what they're doing. I think they all feel guilty later. But if, we're, if there's not mechanisms to help you, you will fall back into those same traps. Thus the book in the foyer, thus the internet contacts. But I'm going to give you one more. In September, we relaunch our groups. Our groups will begin September the 7th, thereabout. Wednesday night, sometime in the middle of that week, that first week in September after Labor Day. We are beginning a group for ladies and a group for men. It's an accountability group. And if you have a spouse that's struggling with this, you need to get in one of those accountability groups. There's a support group for women, especially whose husbands are bound and trapped by this kind of addiction. Uh, We're going to have a support group for men. You're going to encourage each other. You're going to help each other. You're going to walk through life together, and you're going to journey through this together and help each other break that cycle, break that chain of addiction. There are, there are on your bulletin, in the announcement portion, there are two emails that men can uh, access and ladies can access, and you can email those. They will get in touch with you. They'll tell you when and where it starts, or you can call the church office and just call the church office, say, where's the class going to be? I want to be a part of it. I want to I be a part of this group, and it will start on that second Wednesday, I believe, in September. Number four, practice spiritual disciplines. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 119, verse 9. Psalm 119 and verse number 9. Look, if you would, uh, I'll find it in a second. Here it is. Verse 9. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jump down to 105, if you would, same chapter. Your, uh, oh, that's Psalm, that was verse uh, 105. Excuse me. Let's go to verse number 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Now, spiritual disciplines are never meant to be an end in themselves. It's not so you can say, look, I've read the whole Bible through this year. I've prayed this many hours. Uh, look at how much I've meditated. Look at all that I'm doing for God. They were never meant to be an end in themselves, but they, are enabled to, they enable us to get in a position where God begins to renew our mind and our heart. He always does it through the Word of God, either the spoken Word of God or the written Word of God. God begins to transform us from the inside out. He says, by Following thy word, I've kept my way pure. So what are the spiritual disciplines? Let me give give just a few of them very quickly. Prayer, uh, Bible study, fasting, serving others, submission, solitude, confession, worship, meditation, silence, simplicity, sacrifice, celebration. All these things put us in a place where God can work in us and through us. So talk to God. He'll help you. Talk to the Lord. Bring him into your conversations. Bring him into your life. Listen to when God speaks to your heart. Trust and obey him. Over time, there is an inner transformation that creates in you a new mind. A transformation of our very character. Not works righteousness, not sin management, but God-inspired, God-empowered renovation of the inside out. 
But if you never look at his word, and you never pray, and you never fast, and you never meditate, and you never practice the basic disciplines of the Christian life, you will always be a weak believer, always subject to greater temptation and greater falling. Now, when you get involved in the spiritual disciplines, it brings true freedom. Him whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's not about cutting sin out. It's about more of Jesus. And more of Jesus kind of takes care of everything else in my life. Like David when he had fallen, or I should rather say jumped into sin, God wants to cleanse you today. He wants to give you a brand new start. You may not feel worthy. You may say, Pastor, I've prayed before, and I've fallen before, and I've prayed before, and I've fallen before. And and you may say, I'm I'm not worthy to even come to Jesus today. I'm going to tell you, you're not, and I'm not. But that doesn't matter. You're worthy because Christ died for you and paid the price to forgive you and cleanse you. None of us are worthy in ourselves, uh, but his blood says you're important to him. You're worthy to him. Your worth is calculated by how much you are worth to God. How much were you worth to God enough for him to send his only begotten son? That he died on the cross. He was humiliated in front of the world. He was stripped and beaten. And he took our shame upon his back. Not only bore our sin, but the Bible says he bore all of our shame. So today, confess your sin. Turn to him. Give him your life. Give him your body, soul, and spirit. And he'll give you a new heart and a new mind. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.